to me, the expanded playoffs makes all the sense in the world. Derek, it's hope. If you're a team that's that's in the NL West and your job is to catch the Dodgers, who are going to spend twice as much as you every year for the next 25 years. If if you're if you're a team that's, you know, uh, that's been a, a crappy team for 10 years or 15 years, what's more likely that your team will eventually be able to win 85 games or that they're going to eventually be able to win 95? People need to have some hope. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week for the last podcast of the 2021 calendar by KMOX's own... Well, now you're like a recurring guest on this podcast, right? (laughs) You're like, I don't know if BPIB has a five-timers club like SNL, but if we do, the first jacket is as far as guests go, is definitely going to Kevin Wheeler. Kevin, great to talk with you. Hope the holidays are going well for you. Thank you for coming on here again. Glad to do it, man. I, I, I'd be, you know, honored to come on anytime. I mean, you know that. That's it. We, we have a good time. And the, the toughest thing that we have, Derek, is knowing when to stop talking. <laughs> Usually yeah. that, the, the, the substance is never the problem. It's like, okay, it's time to stop talking now. Uh, does this, by the way, does this mean for 2021 that I'm the closer? Yes, it does. It means so that you're it's official. The, the closer. I'm the closer. Yeah. Cool. It, it's official. We we try not to name a closer because we want to be flexible. Because <laughs> um, well, we don't know about your availability day to day. Yeah, you, know? you didn't. You, you didn't use me in that available. high leverage spot. You know, you didn't use me in that high leverage spot. So this must be. You know, hey, uh, you're up by three in the ninth inning. We know you can handle that. Yeah. Well, sometimes you know, I mean, we just you might not be a bit available in the 52nd week and we That's might need true. you in the 51st. And right. we just don't want to, you know, we just don't want to try to lose today to win tomorrow. Really, yeah, sense. I'm with you. Yeah. So no, you're the closer. Congratulations. Um, that means by October, you won't be nice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're right. I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll be, you know, running the show into the ground the next time I appear. <laughs> just try to keep the walks to a minimum. Yeah. All right. You know, I don't want to have to edit out a bunch of walks, <laughs> throw strikes, um, you know, invite contact, you know, you, you know, the drill, right? You, that that may be the occasional brushback pitch. So this past week in the, in the most recent best podcast in baseball, in addition to talking about whether or not Ben Fredrickson could get a leg lamp, we kind of chronicled the top stories in Cardinals from the past year. I remember us not to at least get your thoughts on whether or not we nailed it. Is it, is it possible? This is kind of what I asked Ben Fredrickson is, is it possible that in a year when they acquired Nolan Arenado had a 17 game winning streak and you know, what else did they, I mean, it's just tons of other stuff, you know, had a oh, quick yeah. turnaround breakout um, year from O'Neill breakout year from O'Neill. Is it, I mean, it, all that stuff happens and it would have been a big story in any other non-championship year, but the main story of the year was firing Schilt, correct? Yeah, it has to be, right? I mean, I, I, they're all close, right? 17-game winning streak has never happened in franchise history, and this is a franchise with a lot of history. So, like, all of that's a big deal. But, yeah, I think I think you could argue between the two. It's between acquiring Arenado and the managerial change. And the managerial change is so interesting because, you know, again, you, you've got a guy that's gotten votes for manager of the year every year that he's been the manager. Uh, yeah. They made the play the postseason three consecutive years. Didn't have a lot of postseason success this year. A um, little bit better in 2019. Last year, obviously, was just a, the wild card round as well. But you know that that is unusual. And obviously, you know, uh, maybe Derek, a, a sign of the times in the sport uh, with managers losing more and more juice, losing more and more power as we move forward, and all of it gravitating toward front offices. You know, a, a question that's been kind of I've been kicking around and trying to think about how to phrase um, that kind of that really hits at which story maybe has the bigger ramifications for the future as far as no trading for Norlin Arenado or mm-hmm. firing the manager. And it's this. Who do you think the Cardinals would like to have around longer? Arenado or Marmol? Oh, I'm sure they'd love their manager to be there for the next 10, 15 years. So then right? isn't that the answer? I guess the other, the, well, I mean, it, it could be, but the difference to me is what you know and what you don't know. I mean, you know what Nolan Arenado is. There's no question about that. There's no doubt. There's no mystery. We don't know yet what Ali is. I mean, I, I think we have a lot of evidence pointing towards good things, you know, but 
you're you're an unknown until you're an unknown. What's the joke about prospects? I mean, there's a reason why they're called prospects because we don't know yet. <laughs> they they haven't proven it. Well, Nolan Arenado's proven it. I mean, he's on a Hall of Fame track, so I guess that's that's kind of the area um, where you can I kind see. of try to make the argument, right? Which one way or the other, you could make the argument for one or the other. The manager obviously has. Uh, impact over a lot of things, right? I mean, right. he's you know, how the bullpen is run, what kind of rotation you're going to run, how, you know, are you going to five and dive? Are you going to push guys further? I mean, like all of that is related to the manager. Arenado really is about what he does when he's on the field and certainly how that helps others too. I mean, having those rock stars that stabilize the middle of the order and and kind of help, you know, keep the, carry the pressure, right? I mean, you don't have to put too much on Tyler O'Neill or Harrison Bader or Dylan Carlson because, Arnado and Goldschmidt handle that and getting that kind of player isn't easy and it's not that common you know when you when you get a player of that caliber where he changes teams and you are the one that ends up winning I think it comes down to like the acquisition of Arnado and the opportunity to have him stick around is probably more impactful in the yeah. immediate future but the idea of who's going to take them into the future yeah. you know like you said, they'd like a manager who is around for 10 years to give that stability. That's something that they have yeah. clearly prioritized with their choices. And if they get a guy to take them that long, then you're talking about somebody who has a remarkable influence over their future. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that's an interesting kind of contrast. Yeah. And it, I mean, obviously, we look, there's still a chance, even though it doesn't seem it's headed this way, but it, there's still a chance that Arenado will opt out. And if that happens, right. well, obviously that changes this discussion completely. I mean, uh, but the, the hope, I guess, is that that Ollie is the one that becomes the most impactful move, right? He's the one that, you know, becomes the the next face of the franchise and manages 10, 15 years or who, who, you know, I'm sure they would love that even more. He's a young man. He could go for a long time. But, you know, between that and, and Nolan, I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a tough debate. But I think that um, it's reasonable to say that the guy that has his hands on 2022 on uh, in terms of the hands on the most elements of the team. It's it's the manager, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So we're past the longest night of the year. Um, we're still in the thick of the longest lockout. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and they, I mean, nothing has thawed really there. Some meetings, but there's isn't much expected between the holidays. Uh, most everything is expected to gear up with some substantive meetings or discussions coming. In January, there might not be much movement till February, and we're going to have a lot of time to talk about this, but I did want to kind of end this year, Kevin, by asking you specifically about what you would like to see the game like as it emerges in the new year with a new CBA. With What are some things that you want to see? What do you think baseball needs to have when next we see it? Dude, do, what do you want to start with? Because I, I have on the field wishes <laughs> and, I, and I have I have some off the field stuff that's related to the CBA that I, I think would, would be very helpful to the sport if they could get it ironed out. But they're not going to. Um, <laughs> Great. Which, which, I know I, and you'll see what I mean when I explain it. But what, uh, which would you like to start with? Because they're, they're both to me, they're both in, incredibly entertaining to dig into. Well, you know, it is the holiday season, so let's go with something that actually might change before we talk about the, <laughs> all right. the before you get all Scrooge on us and tell us yeah. about how things will never change. Well, some things never do change, but I you know on the field, I don't think that I don't think that the this the style of play or any of that is is where it should be. I don't necessarily think it's the problem. Um, I think the problem is that there are just too many cities where fans have nothing to cheer for. And, you know, what, what to, what to, like when you're trying to draw fans, especially new generations of fans, right? You're trying to build for the long term. What do kids like, Derek? They like, they like to go to the ballpark and see their team win a game. Oh, kids I was going like, to say kids like winners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they do that. Yeah. Yeah. But kids and like apps. winners. Kids like winning, media. though. Yeah. You know, you, you've got to find a way to make it fun and cool. And one of the best ways to make yourself cool is to be good once in a while. And in all of these markets where teams are just bad for five, eight, 10 years, uh, 30 years, if you're in Pittsburgh, I mean, can you imagine being a Pirates fan or a kid growing up there? They've had three winning seasons in 30 years. Three. Or maybe it's four. No, it's four. It's four because they had the three-year run where they were, you know, top of the division. And they had one more like 85-win season 
um, you know, just a little bit removed from that. But I mean, that's I think crazy. They, I think though, to be fair, they traded one of them to the Cubs with Aramis Ramirez. <laughs> one of their winning seasons. Yeah, I mean, they did, but they do this all the time. I mean, they've been doing this for three yeah. decades, you know. And by the way, they went from the late seventies till to the early nineties. I mean, they basically skipped the entire eighties. So if you go back and look at the last 45, 50 years, they've been terrible for the vast majority of that time. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that matters as much as what happens on the field. But since we're talking about on the field, I want to get myself back on topic. Um, one thing that I'd like to see, Derek, is a little bit more trust in players to be players as opposed to trying to plan everything out. Well, okay. we, you know, for I mean, again, using using the example of, um, the five and dive. Well, two times through the order. Well, you know what? It, 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 this isn't a computer program. Every time somebody takes the field as a hitter, as a pitcher, whatever, defender, they're different that day than they are another day. They're not always the same guy. And we have no hesitation, no hesitation in the sport right now, Derek, to pull a guy early if he's struggling. But if a guy's dealing, oh, no, no, we can't push it. <laughs> we, I mean... Blake Snell looks amazing. He's destroying the other team, but we got to take him out after two times through the order. Yeah. And there's no flexibility in that regard, or at least not enough. And I think that, and by the way, I also would argue that this is also a, a training problem. We're, th th we have a, we have a whole generation of players, largely pitchers, but players that are being trained that, Hey, listen, that's all we need is five innings out of you. And they don't, you never, they never get a chance to throw, you know, 110 pitches in, in games in the minor leagues. I mean, you, you can't ask somebody. I mean, they, we do this already with pitchers hitting. Hopefully that'll stop. That's one of the things I want to see is the DH get here and get here fast because we've been asking pitchers for 25 years to hit at the major league level without ever hitting before that, without mm -hmm. ever really being trained to do it. I mean, it's the most irrational, illogical thing in sports. Hey, you don't do this you know, from the time you're 18 until you reach the big leagues. But here, here's Noah Syndergaard. Go hit 100. Have fun with that. Try to bunt it without breaking your hand. Um, that's kind of the, the goal when those guys get up there. Um, but I, I, and I have seen no evidence, Derek, that all of this babying of players and particular pitchers has, has decreased injuries. It hasn't stopped anybody from getting hurt or having Tommy John or having shoulder problems. You well, don't know the because there's no control group. There's well, no, right. like, there's, there's not like, Hey, look, we're going to actually study this issue and we're going to allow the national league to do it the old way and the American league to adopt this new way. And we can compare injuries at the end. There's no, I mean, we have previous so generations though. We have previous no, generations of people that could throw 300 innings and we could, but we didn't have the technology to, to identify the injuries in which they were pitching through. So you yeah. can't like retroactively MRI. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. It's a good so point. They just baseball has fallen into this thing and, and it's fine. I mean, you can't fight it. Of the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yes. You know, the, that, the Washington that it. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, the Washington Nationals believe they got good years from Steven Strasburg because they shut him down and had it, didn't have him pitch against the Cardinals in the playoffs, right? Well, there is no universe that we have access to until Dr. Strange pops up <laughs> where they let Strasburg pitch, and we know that, no, he was fine for years to come too. We just don't. So they, they, no, I'm not saying that they weren't calculated in that and they didn't use studies and everything like that. But one of the reasons why you see the growth of this, these, uh, the analytics departments and the rise in data and also these performance departments like the Cardinals have mm -hmm. is studying that exact thing is finding that line for what they call is the anti-fragile athlete. Because, you know, once they make that decision, you know, the, it's, it's the only one that they can compare it with. So, yeah. You know, they, they're going to presume that it's right when they shut a guy down or they're going to presume that it's right that 120 innings and not 142 innings is what's going to prolong a long pitcher's career. But they don't really know because there's no, you know, comparison value. I want to that this notion, I want to ask you this because it's happened fast in development. And you you work a lot with young players um, in the St. Louis area, you work with a program and coach and go out and to their tournaments and compete. And you see this firsthand. Mm -hmm. Has it happened fast? This, this, this trickle down of the five and dive and what's really expected of pitchers that now is informing the development of pitchers. And well, I have a reason for asking that. <laughs> yeah. Here, here's, here's the maniacal thing about this. 
at the lower levels, it's the it's like it's still 1980. Mm. I mean, you have so many teams and coaches who pay no attention to how many pitches their kids are throwing. And I'm talking at 12, 13. I coach 14-year-olds, but I see 12 and 13U baseball a good bit. I see high school baseball a, a good bit, you know, the 15 to 17-year-olds. Um, and it, and it, and it's just, it's, it's hilarious to me that, that at the professional level, they're so careful and they're so cautious about what they're doing. And then you'll get it to a, a 14 U tournament and I'll watch a kid on another team throw 115 pitches against my team in five innings. It's like, what What are we doing? And you know, when you talk about injuries and where they're coming from, they're not coming from what happens when guys are in the minor leagues. They're coming from college, high school and below. Wow. I mean, that that's where it starts. That's where, you know, when you start talking about putting wear and tear on arms, it, it's not like it just starts once you sign as a professional or once you get to college. Although I'll say there are a lot of college teams out there that are awfully uh, aggressive with how they handle, you know, 18, 19 year old pitchers. Um, but it, yeah, it, it's crazy, Derek. I mean, I see on a week in, week out basis, uh, 14 year old kids being asked to do things that no team would ever ask of a major league pitcher. So, like, throw, um, as an example, throw, uh, you know, on a, on a Friday, go out and throw two or three innings and then start again on Saturday, on Sunday, sorry, and throw 100 pitches on Sunday. Um, and by the way, in between that, that kid's playing shortstop. You know, oh, it's, wow. it's nonsense. It's insane. And what, that's what's kind of odd to me is that on one side of the developmental spectrum at the younger levels, and there are, by the way, I want to point out, there are plenty of coaches and, and programs and smart ones out there that are careful. Uh, but the problem is that nobody in authority enforces any of this stuff. The, the, the tournaments, none of, they don't ever enforce any of these workload related things. They don't, but they, they, they'll, they'll suggest that you follow, um, you know, what they call pitch smart guidelines, but they don't ever enforce it. There's nothing there to say, if you use these kids too much, you're going to forfeit the game or whatever. Uh, but then you have that on one end. And then on the other end, you have the hyper control over, you know, the biggest, strongest athletes on the planet that play this sport. And it, and I think that kind of leads into the broader topic that I wanted that I was that I was talking about, Derek, with when it comes to the style of play at the big league level. Yes, I would love to see more stolen bases. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not really big on let's find more ground ball singles. I don't think that's going to help anybody get excited about the game. Um, I would like to see more doubles and triples, but some of those things are hard to to regulate because of strategy. I mean, if we're going to limit mm-hmm. shifting in the infield, do we limit shifting in the outfield too? Because that's we where all the doubles. Yeah, that's why I agree. I agree. But I mean, we're looking at it like, oh, we got to get more of these pulled singles into the hole for left-handed hitters, but you're not going to limit what outfielders do, which is taking away all the doubles and triples, which are way more fun than singles. So, you know, like, I don't think you can, I don't think you can regulate that well. I think that part is going to take care of itself. Um, and all that, I, but I, and again, I would love to see the running game be more of a, of a, of a factor, but I think the bigger thing is I would like to see the players be players. I would like to see them have a little bit more free reign to be themselves. And, and we see that a little bit more on the personality side now, Derek. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I think there's too much, it's too scripted. It's becoming too scripted. And I think that's a problem. Well, your question went in a direction that I did not expect, but it arrived at uh, a destination that I wanted to hit on is, you know, I, I thought maybe that you might say that the development of pitchers, you know, that it was changing the development of pitchers fast. You were seeing it more in youth because the, the thing that I wonder if it's going to happen, and this touches on something that Mike Matheny talked a lot about. You remember he was saying that he would go to youth games and see um, catchers with like quarterback style. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Band. Yep. And I'm sure you see that too. And yep. that, you know, like the and then you've got, you've got another thing that goes with that, Derek, is you've got uh, the coach on the side yelling out numbers and then they go that's to that right. wristband. Yeah. They go to that wristband to, to figure out what that what pitch that means. Yeah. That's what I was going to, yeah. That like a, like a defensive back coordinator calling out plays mm-hmm. Um, and they're calling pitches. The coaches are. And Matheny's point was that if coaches are doing that, then kids aren't gener- aren't, aren't developing the instincts on how to call a game as a catcher. And once they get to the higher levels, it just won't be there. And maybe then that vanishes from the game, which, you know, he didn't want to see. And I I wonder if maybe we're going to, if, you know, with all the shifting and all the positioning and everything like that, and, you know, we see guys now out in major league fields pulling the cards from their back pocket or from under Mm -hmm. their hats and looking at where they should stand for individual guys. You know, the Cardinals use a number line. 
And I wonder if, you know, we're going to start seeing less instincts from guy from fielders. You know, it's not that shifting is new. We just used to call it savviness. Right. right? Guys we moving around on their like, own. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. Jose Okendo really positioned himself well. How savvy is that? Johnny Peralta, man, he really has to have a feel for positioning because he doesn't have much range, but he always seems to be in the right spot at the right time. Man, Ozzie Smith had that guy red cold by standing yeah. there behind second base. What instincts they were now. Now we're we're kind of seeing that being removed from the game because they're being positioned by data and positioned by card. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see that then trickle down into fielders and college players and young players who just trust on being told where to stand and not read hitters and not read pitchers and not read the moment to have a sense of where to stand. Yeah, that I, I think that's a, an interesting question. And and I, you know, we try to teach play. I, I, a lot of the guys that I coach with kind of say this on a regular basis, like you're not robots, you know, mm. you're, you're ball, Men, not machine, right, Men, right, exactly. Machine. Right. Yeah. You know, so in other words, you don't have to be like, okay, ground ball to me, one, two, three, throw, you know, like you're not that way. You, you, ha- you have to have some creativity. You have to have some ability to adapt on the fly to, to changing circumstances and, you, you know, honestly, those are things you can practice to a degree, too, um, where, where you put them in those situations in a practice setting and mm-hmm. let them adjust and let them make a mistake and let them, you know, figure out, OK, that I can't do. But then maybe I can do this other thing. Um, but there's also the element to this, too, Derek. Um, like, how? Oh, so for, uh, this is the, the counterpoint to what you're talking about with Mike Matheny. How does a kid learn how to call a game if you're not helping him do it when he's 13, 14 years old? How do you learn? I mean, they, yeah, and by I mean, the way, how do you manage all that with a pitch count? Well, isn't when you the, got isn't when the, you got a kid out there that isn't thinking, okay, I can't I can't let this kid throw thirty five pitches this inning, or hey, this is a crappy hitter. We got to throw fastball down the middle so that we don't waste pitches because if we waste pitches, they're going to be out in three innings instead of five innings. I mean, like I think there's a balance there, and and the the way that the way that um the way I do it, I, I hope it's smart. I mean, you know, we'll see. Is when the younger the player is, the more guidance they need, right? The more that right. they need to learn. How do you read a hitter? How, how do you look at your pitcher and and figure out what he's got and what he doesn't have? What's the umpire calling? Um, again, how do you factor that in with a pitch count and how many pitches this kid's going to be allowed to throw? All of that is stuff that you're you're going to be learning. So when you're doing it, you should have like in my case, I'll have the kids that's that's not catching sit next to me in the dugout and we talk about it as we're going along. And then when it's the other kid's turn to catch the other guy sitting next to me and we'll talk about these things. And then when you get into a more comfortable circumstance, uh, maybe, you know, you, you're late in a game and pitch counts, not really a big deal for the kid that's in there. And you know, the game's, you know, one way or the other in control, you turn it over to the kid and say, all right, now it's your turn. You, well, that's you, a, I mean, the been, model there is how do we learn math, right? Well, we, right, right. I mean, exactly right. Exactly. The, how do we learn in school? Teacher. We don't just say here, kids, here's a book, learn it. Right. Right, I mean, you the ha- it has to be you have to be shown these things, and I, sure. I do think that when you get to but then you take tests level. on your own, right? Yes, I mean you're yeah. you're there to take yep. the ACT, SAT, final exam, whatever test on your own. So maybe the games are the test, and the well, classes are the. Practice. I would argue that 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 um the the test isn't till you're older. Okay, that, right? I, I mean, mean I would I would this equate is your it, arena, not mine. I just, I would equate I mean, it to taking the SAT or taking uh, the uh, the the uh, what do you call it? What's the other one for the SAT? I forget off the top the of my ACT? head. ACT? ACT, yeah. To me, that's what How'd that's How do you do like. on that one, by the way, since we're on the topic? Oh, my gosh, Kevin. On the ACT? That you completely forgot existed. I mean, I think I had 30. Didn't you have a... Wow. Well done, sir. Close to it, anyway. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. But it was around there. It, it was enough get to get into Miami. Yeah, it helped yeah. me get a scholarship. So <laughs> oh. it, was, it was good enough for that. Um, but I think that that's kind of the thing. And I'm by the way, you, you know, hard time. What, what am I, what am I, you know, what, this is the hard part because I think from a manager or like a, a major league catcher's perspective and, and a guy that became, that is a major league manager's perspective, he's thinking yeah. of it from the major leagues perspective, right? right. Well, what 0.2% of players will ever get there. Yeah. So I'm preparing a kid for high school. And then when they get to high school age, the job is to prepare them for college. And then there's that tiny percentage that's going to get drafted and they're going to go that route instead. And what are they going to get to do every day for five months as a minor league player? They're going to catch games and they're going to yeah, get to yeah. apply those lessons and learn. I think I don't think we need to take a 13 or 14 year old that is, I mean, again, 
nearly 100% chance they will never play in the big leagues, ever, no matter how good they are. And there's no guarantee they'll even be a catcher in two years. I've had, I, I won't name the kid's name, but I've got a kid that, that has worked with me for years, Derek, going back to when he was nine years old. One of the best catchers I've seen come through my program. And at 14U, is arguably the best catcher I've ever had. He's an infielder in college. Hmm. <laughs> so, so what benefit would he have gotten long-term from calling those games as a 14-year-old? No, I understand. I understand. But how do you, so to bring it back to the majors, how do you bring back that improvisation? Because at the moment, there are some players who are allowed to do. I mean, we hear stories yeah, of yeah. catchers who shift on the fly, but we also hear stories of catchers who are scripted and maybe even more so than they let on. Um, how do you, I mean, you know, Colton Wong, I think we would agree, plays an improvisational second base. But within that um, construct, though, tries you know, to I mean, do is it improv or is it just athleticism within the construct? Maybe that's, I guess, how do we, so how do we know the difference and how do then we bring the improvisation back? What would you like to see? Can you give me an example? So, so I mean, number one, um, you know, I, I mean, I know this, a lot of this is about pitching, but number one, I would like to see um, a, a just more freedom for pitchers to pitch. You know, we, mm. we, we treat them like they're fragile, you know, uh, as, as our friend Bernie Miklas likes to say, they're Fabergé eggs, you know, mm. we like, and, and look, some of them are, and some of them are going to break, but that's never going to change. You know, players are going to get hurt and pitchers are going to get hurt. And the problem is they're all trying to throw so hard all the time that that's what hurts you. Right. I mean, we, we, yeah. we have pretty good evidence that max effort is what hurts you. Throwing too hard too often is what hurts you. And there's a reason that for generations that pre that preceded this one, pitchers didn't do that. <laughs> there's a reason that those guys lasted. Like even Nolan Ryan wasn't throwing 100 every game that he pitched. Right. We go back to the 80s. When he would hit 100, Derek, it made news. It was like, oh, Nolan Ryan hit 100 last night. And, you know, it would be like, you know, it, 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 would, be in the, it would be the top thing on the headline of that game's story. Right, um, right. You know, thing. now it's like, eh, you know, Jacob DeGrom threw 118 times in the first two innings. And yeah. and that's not happening without I mean, the Mets had effort. more pitches of high velocity than a lot of teams did combined, which is yeah. fascinating. And, but, I, yeah, and I, I don't know that. And I don't know that you can tell a pitcher that's having success, hey, stop doing the thing that's giving you success. But I, I guess, I guess the 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 way that I would look at it, as far as what we can perceive, like what we're going to see on the field, I don't think you can take the planning out, right? I mean, we have the information; teams are going to act on it. Um, yeah. You know, they're going to move players, you know, where they think a guy's going to hit the baseball. They're going to pitch to them based on you know what they the way they're aligning that defense. And I think that's something that people probably should pay a little more attention to, right? Um, you know, we, we know we talked about this with Matt Carpenter over the years, but, you know, they play him to the shift and people are just like, well, hit it the other way. But they're pitching him to that shift too. Yeah. They're not, right? They're not, they're not throwing like him fastballs on the outer half that he can slap the other way. They're going to go hard in and soft away and you're going to get the timing jacked up, which means you're going to pull the ball more often. Also, it always bothers me, a couple of thoughts on this one, it always bothers me when, when their folks go, well, why doesn't he just do this? It's like, yeah, well, why doesn't, you know, Adam Wainwright just throw throw a split finger fastball. Yeah, it's like you know? why don't why don't you why don't you just go get a higher paying job? No, why don't but, you, I mean like that's I what mean, I mean these like these skills are so finely these skills are so finely tuned to exist at that level that it makes a guy who can adjust a Joey Votto, for example. Yeah, man, that takes a lot of elite talent skill that is probably bound for the Hall of Fame and should say, wow, this guy's really good because he has the ability to adjust and find a new way yeah. to thrive. Um, it takes some time, but he adjusted to it and made something more of himself as a hitter. And that takes a high degree of talent to also do that at the highest level. Whereas you have a guy, other guys who did not adjust to the shift all that well. Well, maybe that's because the thing that they did best that got them to the majors, that's what they can do. Yeah. And when they start shifting, yeah. all of a sudden, and we see this, all of a sudden they're not major league hitters. When they start adjusting and trying to do something different as a hitter, they're in triple A level. And yeah. well, I mean, I, that's, I think that's part of this, why Derek, the game is, is so difficult. We I mean, only it, it remember like, hey, look, the you know, outstanding players from previous generations. We understand you're a fastball slider reliever, but you know what? Everybody is tattooing your slider. We need you to learn a changeup. 
Yeah. And then the fans go, oh, I can't get that guy throw a changeup. Well, you know what? That's hard. <laughs> and you know what <laughs> happens is. to that guy? He's gone. And we accept that when it comes to a pitcher. But we don't accept that too often when it becomes a hitter. The other well, the thing problem that really is that the problem is, yeah. Derek, that that people their people's frame of reference for comparisons is always somebody amazing from a previous generation. Well, or Tony, or Tony, one. Tony Gwynn did it. Well, yeah, right. there's one Tony Gwynn. There yeah, were, well, why can't he do what Mike Trout does? Well, because yeah. Mike Trout's really good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like that's the thing is that you, you know you got you, people don't remember the rank and file player from 30 years ago. They don't remember right. the 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 guys that weren't memorable. They only remember like the Hall of Fame guys or the elite guys or the all star level guys. Well, there's a reason that they're at that level because they right. can do things That's that other point. people can't do. And, you know, like this idea, well, just, that whole idea of just going the other way. Well, yeah, Wade Boggs did it. There's only been one Wade Boggs, you know, I mean, like Rod Carew did it. Well, there's only been one Rod Carew. Like there aren't many guys that that have that skill set, just like there's only one Babe Ruth. You know, right. it's like it, it, it's it's one of those things that we, we don't do very well is we only remember what stands out and what stands out are either the extremes, you know, like a horrible player where you get like the Mendoza line and that still lasts because somebody, you know, made a made a joke about the guy's bad hitting. And and you know, now that's kind of the the line that people pay attention to, uh, or you have the the elite level all star slash Hall of Fame guys, and like most players aren't that they can't do those things, right? Yeah, you, you I mean, it's we remember those guys because we open up a lot of baseball cards, so we run through them. And go, yeah, I remember that guy. I remember that guy. Yeah. Man, that guy would never hit against the shift. Man, that guy couldn't make contact. Um, the other the other thing that and the, this is a bigger issue that you kind of touched on that is is a is a cultural thing in baseball that I think is here to stay. Um, unfortunately, and I'm not sure how you get the pendulum to swing the other direction. And that's that, you know, more and more games are risk management, not baseball management. Yeah. And I, and I will, I'll give you the example of it. I mean, there were, there were times and back to like when Matheny was manager, you know, there were times where he would make a call on the likelihood of what he hopes happen happens. Right. Yeah, yeah. More and more, we see decisions being made on the high probability that the worst will happen, uh, and that's just just such a different thing. It's like you know, you, you've gone from managers who bring out the best in guys to insurance adjusters who account for the worst possible outcome, and that's just here probably to stay, right? Or is Maybe the Otani factor makes teams think, well, if we take a risk, we might get something great from it. I I worry because more and more teams are run like hedge funds. Yeah. More and more teams are managed for risk, not for greatness. And that includes some teams who have turned risk into greatness. Yeah. Um, One thing that really intrigues me is maybe the alchemy that has taken place in San Francisco. And they they are clearly a highly data driven crackerjack wise team, but the number of voices and coaches that they have, um, and their eagerness to be innovative and aggressive. I mean, they they use more pinch hitters than any team ever, mm-hmm. um, and I know they did that by numbers. But that also maybe does it give the improvisational feel that you're talking about? And maybe that's I use the word alchemy because maybe that's where all the science turns to gold for us. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, I, I think that um, I mean, clearly the the. I'm, I'm trying to think of the right way to put it because modern's not the right way to do it. The, maybe the, the more uh, business like approach, the sophisticated approach, I guess, is maybe one way uh, it works right for Tampa and it right. and it and it worked for San Fran last year where you're hyper aggressive with platoons and doing all that but what happens down the road when you find an elite player does that player want to stay if he's going to be platooned are you going to develop elite players when guys come up and all they're going to be asked to do is the one thing that they already do well yeah, are you, you going to ever find out if a new bark can hit lefties right i mean i i i mean i i think that that's part of what i'm talking about and and i'm talking about the on-field product like what fans mm-hmm. see um, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about the statistics or the record books or anything like that, even though fans care about that, too. Um, you know, you like the I think people like the idea that you're seeing a, you're, you've got a star player, right? You know, there's a player that's you, you, you want to go buy tickets for. Um, right. But yeah, I'll tell you this, though. One thing they'll buy tickets for is 106 wins. 
<laughs> so if you if you can repeat it year after year and have success with it, then yes, that's that's going to be what like that's what Tampa Bay does. They 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 repeat. Well, they're, they're not they selling do. a lot of tickets. No, but they're also in arguably the worst potential, worst possible circumstance um, in a city of transplants of people that all grew up Yankee fans, Red Sox fans. They're all from somewhere else. So uh, it and it's like also Colorado. Older, it's also and, an older area. You know that area of Tampa oh, no, is no. you know a lot of retired people and all of that. Uh, and but by Denver the way, this, can sell tickets. Denver isn't winning, and they sell tons of tickets. They don't sell That's, as many as as uh, as they used to. And I, I'd say that okay, yeah. I, and again, but they're also in a spot where you've got a cool ballpark um, right. in a, in a part of the country where the weather's not too extreme in the summer. And you know, you get right. to Tampa doesn't have the weather part, but they've got a terrible location, a boring ballpark. That's very sterile, and it's and it's difficult to get to. It's so they not have lo- to like win to not sell tickets. Yeah, and, but if they had a better ballpark, they wouldn't have to win as much. As let's put it this way: if that team was if that team was in Montreal, they'd probably be really killing it. If that team yeah. was in, that yeah. team was in Charlotte, they would be killing it. You think so? That's interesting. I, I think so. I, I think that that is a unique area. Uh, look, I look, think if that team was on the south side of Chicago, now you're talking. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about places where there are no baseball teams, you know, where oh. they would be the focus. They would be the Nashville, you know, and you're also talking about an area. I mean, all of Florida is like this, um, but, you know, there's a lot of things that take people's entertainment time and money away from sports like Denver. It, it, they don't have Disney World a couple hours away and the beach 10 minutes away and they have mountains. Dude. I agree. I'm not saying they don't. I'm saying it's not as many. And again, you throw in, you know, the the age factor of the people that live That's in that something. region and yeah. all of that. I mean, like, it's just a perfect storm of, of crap. And, you know, the Marlins have their own <laughs> perfect storm, but they could fix the Marlins could fix their problems by being more consistently decent rather than being good for a couple of years and then being terrible for eight years. I mean, like they you've got a town in Miami that will support you, but only if you're good. They won't go out. They're not going to go see an average or crappy team. They don't do it for the Heat. Yeah, they don't yeah. do it for the Panthers. They don't do it for the Dolphins. They don't do it for the Hurricanes. If you're not good, they're not coming. It's the um, undefeated fallout from the Dolphins, right? It's I, the big three from the Miami Heat. I'm I mean, it's say, it's yeah. it's it's all yes, it's it's all of those things. But it's again, it's also the fact that you know why would I spend money on this entertainment when I can just go to South Beach? You know, when I yeah. can just go when I can just go down to the Keys for a day. When I can when when you have a million options of what to do with your free time and money, a sports team has to be good to get your attention. And I again, wanna... it's, also, it's also a heavy transplant area. You know, that's yeah. the other part of it, right? I mean, yeah. you, got, you got people not down there, not just a lot of people from a lot of different cities, up international. North, yeah. but international yeah. people that are be yeah. like, well, okay, if you're fun and exciting, I'm going to come out. But if not, eh, I'm going yeah, to really do something wanna... else. I really admire your your optimism that like good baseball brings out big crowds. Um, I'm a little skeptical on that. Um, but I do know that uh, that good baseball generates more fans. Yeah, um, I yeah. don't know if it brings them to the ballpark or gets the higher ratings on TV. I mean, I guess I think well, it's like there any are other product, though, right? You have, to build, yeah. you have to build trust. Right. It's one thing to be good right now, but it's another thing for those people to think that you're committed to staying that way. I do think that there is something to the fact that you're bringing together is that a charismatic baseball team, yes, can draw fans. Whether that and often that ties to winning but it doesn't always um you know a, a stylish team can bring fans and if every team looks the same because all the analytics are the same it's it's you know it's homogeny by math right yeah it, which happens just like collusion by math happens it's not you know if every i mean they're they're dealing from the same integers so they're going to make some of the same decisions if everything looks the same then Where's the entertainment value? That's I think that's what I'm trying to get at. You, you put that very well. That I don't know that there's a specific on-field thing, Derek, that that really changes things or lights lights the scoreboard up or gets me fired up. Like again, I'd love to see more aggression, more stolen bases. But again, there's not nothing there you can really impact or legislate. It's it's really difficult to do that. Make I think the bases bigger. It, yeah, believe me, there are ways you can also limit the pickoff moves. I mean, I'm, there are ways yeah. to do it. But they're, they're, they don't come without consequence. They don't come without, you know, a potential trade off that might not be, you know, you, you get those the potential for the unintended consequences. So it may not be exactly what you wanted. But one thing that is true is what you just hit on there is that, you know, if every team is the same, where wh- what what makes it stand out? 
Like what if 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 going to watch um, the Giants, the Cardinals, the Dodgers, or whatever, if going to watch one of them is the same as going to watch Tampa Bay, or the same as going to watch. I, I think that's one problem is that everybody's going in one direction. You know, like I, 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 there are not enough outliers that are saying, you know what, there's another way to do this. Mm. And, and by the way, I want that's one thing. I'm uh, a small tangent here, but it's one thing that I like about the way the Cardinals handle handle the development and the usage of their pitchers. While everybody else in the world is going max effort, you know, four seam fastball up, curveball, you know, that kind of stuff, they're still going sinker slider. They're still building pitchers that are meant to go six or seven innings. You know, they're still doing that. And I wonder if that zig while others are zagging is going to end up being a benefit. I think that some of that is personnel, which I also find very fascinating. Right, but it's also you know, how they draft, right? So they haven't changed. No, that's how what I mean. Draft. That's right. what I'm talking about. Right. I mean, I'm talking about um, looking at prospects. I was looking through um, some of the young guys that they've added, whether it's Zach Thompson or McGreevy. Um, you know, some of these other. You look at uh, Palante, who was out in yeah, the Arizona yeah. Fall League. Um, Jake Woodford and what he's become. Um, you know, just going through that list, I was like, wow, these uh, these are some fascinating. You know. This guy sounds a lot like Zach Gallon. This guy sounds a lot like Luke Weaver. This guy sounds a lot like, you know, who, yeah. you know, somebody who's going to move up fast. Um, you know, this guy's got some Joe Kelly kind of similarities, right? Strong athleticism, high velocity, um, but working on utilizing other spots um, in in the strike zone. And if it works, he's a starter. If it doesn't, pretty good reliever you got there. That kind of thing. And uh, I'm, I was really struck by that. I'm, I want to. I mean, the Cardinals had a guy that threw 104 miles an hour throwing sinkers. Right. Like, what well, other team would not change that to a four seam fastball? I think every other team would have not changed that to a four seam fastball. I don't know, they, man. I mean, when you when got a guy throwing 104, four but he's not. I mean, like, how many? T- I mean, look, looking at the way pitchers are used, if yeah. you throw 104, you're expected to strike people out. But right. he doesn't. Jordan Hicks doesn't. Right. And, well, if, and if he used a, a yeah, four yeah, seam yeah. fastball, he probably would. Because they I think other eat. teams, other teams would have had him throw that four seam and gone. Well, that's not as fast or as deceptive as that sinker. So let's go back to the sinker. Yeah, I, I, I that's getting uh, because, back to though what I like about the Cardinals is they're not they're not looking at him and saying we need more swings and misses. We're looking at right. him and saying how's he going to be effective? Right. Yeah. And yeah. That, yeah. Well, and I, I think, think a lot of teams do that. Yeah. I. I mean, it's boy. The trend is not that though. The trend is we're going to put we're going to draft and develop and push the max effort guys. And right. we're going to, you know, we're going to pitch up in the zone and we're going to go for strikeouts. And that's what's going to limit you to the five and dive. That's what's going to keep fair. a starting pitcher from going seven. And the way the Cardinals develop guys, I mean, I, I look at all five of the guys in their rotation for next year, Derek, maybe with the exception of Matt's because he's really never been a 180 inning guy. But I, I could easily see any one of them healthy throwing, throwing, making 32 starts and throwing 180 innings, 185 innings. Hmm. I mean, again, so, you know, Hudson's going to be first year off Tommy John. They're probably going to be cautious and not let that happen. Flaherty didn't pitch a lot this past year. I mean, I'm not saying that it's a smart thing to do, but like in a normal year, there would be nothing weird about any one of those guys getting up near 200 innings. No, that's fair. In fact, that would They're be... None, none the of them are five and a, dive guys. I mean, if they do that, then that's a sign of a 95 plus 98 win team. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a really strong team if they get that kind of performance because then... All of a sudden, you're not having the the accordion usage of Jake Woodford and Alex Reyes and Jordan Hicks. You have like you can you can really unleash the dragons of the bullpen if you get that. I you know I think I think Hudson, I, I think he's primed for a rather remarkable year to be honest. And I, yeah. there'll be some governor on him because he's coming back from Tommy John. But what he had time to do as he recovered for Tommy John, um, you know, if he throws more strikes, he's going to be. You yeah, know, I I try to avoid comps, but man, he's Brandon Webb. I mean, it, he has that ability. And Brandon Webb went out and won a Cy Young award, I believe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, he, I think he's that kind of point. strong, you know, reliable, durable um, guy who, when he throws strikes with his sinker, can do it in a number of different ways. To and in a in the current culture of the launch angle world, man, that that has success written all over it. I want to give you some just as we kind of speed to a finish um, for the new year and for the podcast. I want to give you just some of the changes that are in the in the air and Mm -hmm. tell me we can do some quick hits on whether you like them or not. So uh, larger bases. Uh, It's fine with me. Particularly a larger second base. 
Yeah, that it doesn't it doesn't make as big a, a huge impact, but it's fine with me. I don't think it hurts anything if you change that. Three batter minimum. I never liked it. Yeah, I don't think it's had the impact that people want, right? <laughs> it hasn't sped up the game, has it? No. And then and, and it put uh Yenesis Cabrera and Bryce Harper in a terrible yep. spot, which yes. that one moment alone is enough to get rid of it. Well, that's, what, that's what a lot of managers happen. argued, right? Like, what happens when my guy comes in and he doesn't have any idea where the ball's going? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, and some players argued that, too. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, they saw that happen. Why it existed the next week, I'll I'll never know. I was shocked that it wasn't gone. <laughs> yeah. um, DH and the NL, you'd like that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where gotta do you have stand? Got to have the pitchers get the pitcher, get the bat out of their hands. I know there are some guys that have done a nice job relative to other pitchers over the years, but it's, I mean, what other sport, professional sport, Derek, do we ask somebody to do something for the first time at the major leagues that they didn't do in high, since high school? And some of them didn't even hit in high school. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a great, I'd have to give that some thought. I'm not sure. I mean, that's very odd. Like, yeah. You, you, yeah, there's a reason, there's a reason why pitchers are getting worse at hitting. They're not, they're not developed as hitters. And that starts again. It's not, some of them, it starts when they're 15, 16. Well, it's years risk old. management. It's back to that, too. We don't want an injury of a guy hitting when he's bread and butter. Of course. Pitching, which is, so. again, the, wor- the silliest thing. I mean, the, mo- the biggest injuries are the ones that come from pitching. Right. No, I, <laughs> I know. I was just, uh, I was just, but you're right. That's exactly why with. they do it. Yeah. In some uh, cases, it's because like it's, there are there are guys, Derek. Let's be honest, that can throw a baseball fast, but they have no other athleticism, and they don't run well, and they're not coordinated when it comes to hitting. And you know that's their path. They become pitcher onlys in in their you know when they're fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years old, or when they're in college, right? I, mean, I was you know. not a backup catcher in college, so I'm going to keep my comments on athleticism to a minimum. <laughs> I mean, there 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 are some people that I mean. I, you don't you don't pigeonhole I'm anybody a world too record early. holder when it comes to baseball but yeah. there, there are some people that you, you don't want to pigeonhole anybody early you want to give everybody the chance to to work and do all that but there Derek you can see a, a future pitcher only when they're 12 13 14 years sure old. sure I'm sure but there's a, an athleticism that goes into that that maybe yes. is more akin to dancing than it is you know oh. brute strength of a football or something like that yeah yeah, you know, yeah. different type you're right you're right it's a different type of athleticism what uh what do you think about a pitch clock? Fine. I, 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 don't, I don't think it. I, I, first of all, I can't wait to see the first fight when an umpire enforces it um, in a, you know, game six of a World Series <laughs> in October. And, and look, let's when a be, guy's blowing on his cold hand. In yeah, it's cold. And, and yeah. You know, there's a lot of pressure and there's the Guardians relievers out there and gets called. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I, I'm, I don't care. It's fine. I mean, you know, I think you also have to you also have to call it on the hitter, too. It shouldn't yeah. be. I mean, yes, I know it's called a pitch clock, but it should be focused on the hitters just as much as the pitchers. Like if the pitcher's standing there ready and the batter isn't in the box, well, then you got to you've got to call a strike on the batter. Yeah, I think that's I think that's part of it. And I think that's yeah. common. Uh, where do you stand on the shift? I, I don't think it's a good idea to mess with it. I think I think, again, you're talking about the law of unintended consequences. All you're doing by eliminating by limiting the shift is is benefiting one very specific type of player which is the left-handed hitting pull guy. Right. That's that's the one person. And by the way, if they don't get dinged for being a, a sellout for pull kind of guy, if they don't get dinged for that, they're going to do it more. You know, people are always like, well, if, if, if you open up that hole, they'll take those singles. No, no, no. They're just going to keep swinging for the fences. They're not going to take the single. Right. Yeah. They're not. Nobody's going to because the math tells you not to. Right. Yeah. And And now this is an interesting thing to me. Um, is the comparison, Derek, between what works over six months and what works against the best of the best in the postseason, mm. where, you know, for six months, it's about large sample size. If you do these things that we know over time make sense with the math in, in over 162 games and thousands and thousands and thousands of pitches and, you know, more innings than you can count. Well, we know those things will work in the large sample size, but they don't always work in a moment. They yeah. don't. I mean, the postseason is about moments. It is not about the the big picture. It is not about large data. It's about what can you do in this moment, not what works 80% of the time or 60% of the time or just more often than something else. What works right now? Because right now is what the playoffs are about. How do I get that run home? Because it might be the only one scored today. You might and, have just you know, answered your own question there that you brought up at the very beginning. And that's the answer that like more improvisation in baseball during the regular season isn't going to happen. 
because it's just too much, too long, too 100%. many things of a game. But it might happen, and maybe it already is happening, in the postseason. And I don't know how entertaining that makes the long haul of the season, and maybe that's a concern for a game identified by the long haul of the regular season. But, you know, that does bring up the last thing I wanted to ask you about uh, as far as these quick hits go, and that's expanded playoffs. Mm -hmm. If you expand the playoffs, you do expand the randomized, the randomness of the playoffs, which is already pretty high. Uh-huh. Uh, does that create more of the improvisation, the more of the, the moment like you're talking about where there would be, there would be some teams, you know, it. there would be some teams who would stick with Blake Snell. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, to me, the expanded playoffs makes all the sense in the world. Uh, for for a lot of reasons, both business and otherwise. I mean, obviously, it's going to get you a bigger TV deal, which is more revenue to share with the players and more money that can can do a lot of different things uh, within the sport. But it, it's more than that. It's it's Derek. It's hope. Like if you think like if if, if you're a team that's that's in the NL West and your job is to catch the Dodgers, who are going to spend twice as much as you every year for the next twenty five years, how in the world do you look at that and say? Yep, that's reasonable. If if you're if you're a team that's you know uh, that's been a, a crappy team for ten years or fifteen years, what's more likely that your team will eventually be able to win eighty five games or that they're going to eventually be able to win ninety five? I mean, yeah. you, you people need to have some hope. And if you're a t- if you're a fan in a city where your ownership doesn't spend money, whether it's because they can't or because they don't want to, doesn't really matter. When you're in a spot where you, you can pretty much look at the end the end of May and say, yep, we're done. We can't win 95 games this year. We can't win 90 games this year. Yeah. As, a, as opposed to getting to July and August and seeing more teams that are like, man, you know what? They're three games out of a wild card spot. Yeah, they may not be great, but all they got to do is have two good months and they could get in and who knows what happens. I mean, again, the 83-win the Cardinals won the World Series in t- 2006. I mean, we just saw what happened this year. You know, I, I, I think that 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 little bit of hope is what works for the NFL. It's what works in the NHL. It doesn't work in the NBA because only the top four or five teams even have a chance in the NBA because it's too much about the star players. And it's, it's not a problem. It's not a flaw. It's just the way the game is, uh, you know, fewer guys on the court and those star players always have the ball. <laughs> so can it, can game, I attempt? Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Can I I attempt- the game is about them. So that's the one that's kind of an outlier compared to the other three. Can I attempt to blow your mind? by offering a subtle fix that they could do immediately that would have the same effect without expanding the playoffs. Hmm. Do away with the divisions and have a more balanced schedule so that half of your games aren't within the division because when you're the Rockies, you're exactly right. You know you're going to be outspent. Or the Diamondbacks, you know you're going to be outspent. And you're going to have to face the Dodgers 19 times. And that's 19 games that, you know, Cleveland is not playing against the Dodgers. And if you balance that equation so that it's not 19 versus zero um, or 19 versus six, like say if within the same league, and you, you narrow that gap a little bit so that a team like the Rockies or the Diamondbacks isn't carrying all that weight on their schedule against a team that is going to out outspend them. Or the, I mean, imagine what the Rays record could be if they didn't have to go up against the Titans of Boston and the Red Sox, but instead got three more games against, say, you know, the Oakland Athletics or to, um, Texas Rangers. Um, imagine then, because then also it gets to your point too about drawing audiences, right? I mean, yeah. the NBA does okay by having everybody play everybody and still having some imbalance when it comes to the conference, right? If baseball has a thing where the Cardinals go to Seattle every other year or the Cardinals go to the south side of Chicago every other year, it not only really gives the gives that audience, you know, a look at the other league consistently and they know it it reduces the amount of games within the division where we have seen great imbalance like you're talking about you know all of a sudden now the mariners 
would get six games, you know, or say three games against the Pirates every so often, as opposed to having to go down, you know, to Houston, for example, for those three games. It would balance the schedule in a way that would have ripple effects, I think. I don't see any, I mean, I don't see any flaw in the, in the, in the bigger picture of that idea. Um, yeah, yeah, that it, it, but I, why not do that with expanded playoffs? Oh, sure. I mean, no, that's I mean, fine. More, I just more, was te- saying. More, teams, more teams. I mean, I, I think, you know, people are, you know, people, I don't know why it is, but people in baseball I'm are just always saying there about- are other ways than expanding the playoffs to achieve yeah. that within yeah. the bounds of the current discussion. But I still know, I still think that, I mean, when you're looking at it and you're just like, okay, if, and I, this is where I think it's an interesting debate for the players association versus the owners when it comes to the CBA, right? The players are suspicious of it, right? If, if you're going to add more teams, well, then they're saying fewer teams will, will feel like they need to be elite. So they won't spend as much there. But what about the team that, you know, all of those, all of those middle of the road teams, all of those 75 yeah. to 85 win teams who might look at it and say, well, crap, I can't beat the Yankees. I can't beat the Dodgers, but I might be able to get to 86 wins. You know, like, yeah. and that could add another couple of players. You know, it might not be, it's not going to be crazy. Um, it's not like any of those teams is going to be like, well, we're going to double our payroll. I mean, they're not going to do that, but it, it gives fewer teams an incentive to go the wrong way where, I, you know, I you can look that. at it and say Cleveland, Detroit, Kansas City, as an example, three cities right there. They're all 80 wins or below, but they're all within the range where if you made a few moves, not even big moves, just, just the, well, I mean, Detroit made big moves, but like a team like Cleveland doesn't have to do a big thing if they're going to if they're going to be able to contend. But if they get to July and they're close, maybe they add somebody as opposed to selling off pieces. Yeah, you know? I, just, I, I wanted to make the point that the playoffs aren't the only way that you could actually do something over the first six months of the season that might invite. I'm not sure it would, but might invite more interest. Yeah, would certainly create a counterbalance because you're getting more games possibly against teams in your market size or um, or below you know, as opposed to constantly beating up against the Titan in your division for 19 games, yeah. that doing so might have ripple effects that also add to what you're talking about that, Hey, you know what we might, you know, if we have to play half of our games in a division where we're just beating our heads against the giants and the Dodgers, that's not going to be all that appealing unless we right. have a right. tremendous core that we can cycle in for a few years. Whereas if you go, man, you know, a quarter of our games are against that team. We still have three quarters of our games against teams that are going through the same thing like us. Hey, let's take our chances. Let's see how we go. You know, rock, paper, scissors straight up against these guys. Um, And, you know, I think that there might be something to that that's rather easy to do. That's all. Um, At the risk of prompting a a second hour of the podcast. We, uh, I, I would be remiss not to ask you. We, we spent a lot of time talking about what you'd like to see in baseball, and we didn't even get to the financial aspects. Of it. Right, right. So we'll, we'll start the new year with that because we're going to have plenty of time to talk before there's actual baseball. Um, but also, we, we might see some at least discussion in the lockout that feeds into that conversation. Real quick, Kevin, if there is such a thing when we talk, uh, <laughs> what what do you want to see from the Cardinals in the 48 hours after uh, the the lockout is over a new CBA is nearing finalization. We're probably going to see things start before it's actually finalized. But what do you think the Cardinals need to do in the 48 hours, one week back that first week back? What would you like to see from them that improve their chances for 2022? I mean, that has to be at least one impact reliever, right? Has to, has be. to be. I mean, right. you lost one. I mean, he he didn't seem like he was going to be that when you brought him in, but Luis Garcia was an impact reliever. You need somebody better than him. But I'm saying you need somebody to replace the production that he gave you. Right, and you should aim higher. Well, right, right. I mean, but his production was really good. I know, I know, but I'm just saying. You should go for a better, like a more, maybe better is not the right word, but a more established player, not a gamble. somebody who you think could be a closer? Could be, yeah. I'm I'm all for that. I mean, I, I think that one of the scary parts is, They've not had particular success in that part of the free agent marketplace in recent years. A lot of the guys they brought into the pen and be like, "Uh oh, well, yeah, Greg, Greg Holland didn't work, and Brett Cecil didn't work, and they've they've seemingly had more success with the with the lower tier guys bringing them in and raising them up as opposed to the veteran." But I don't think you can let the past deter Pat you Nishik. in the future, right? Yeah. Andrew Miller, um, yeah, you know, well, Pat Nishik I, was great for them. Oh, that's right, right, right. That yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. he was a minor uh, league. I, 
I think you have to have at least one one more known commodity in the bullpen. I think you have a lot of bodies there. You have a lot of you a lot of options there, but mm-hmm. they need another person who can come in there and be the strike throwing, hard throwing, um, three twenty or below ERA guy like Garcia was. Because without his performance, you don't have a seventeen game winning streak, and you don't make the postseason last year. Do you have somebody um, in mind? Uh, specifically, I don't know that that guy that the guy that I that I, I don't know that there's a guy that I would say solves all of that. Um, I, I why do I keep wanting to come back? I feel like Archie Bradley is a guy that I've been coming back to. Well, Archie Bradley could be had probably you know is is more along the lines of finding a lottery ticket, right? Yeah, um, I guess you're right. A lot of senior a, pass, yeah, yeah. But, He's, he's been a little bit a huge salary. erratic. I'd say maybe uh, I'm trying to think of the, there are a couple other guys. I mean, Joe Kelly would be one of them that Joe I wouldn't Kelly, mind. Yeah, I wouldn't mind bringing back into the mix. Um, the guy Tepere. that is, sorry, Ryan Tepper. Oh yeah. That's what he's, he, he's a, he's a known commodity for sure. Just, you know, I wouldn't overpay for it, but he's definitely, yeah. he definitely fits what we're talking about. Um, there's another, who's the other guy that I'm spacing out on right now. There was one other one that I was just thinking about it that that would fit that kind of the problem is that most of these guys that are available now are all um well they're all maybes there's not a there's not a whole lot of yeses left um unless you want to make a run at Kenley Jansen <laughs> unless you right. want well, I mean, to Colin I McHugh right like Colin McHugh I like be, the uh... idea of a Colin McHugh I you know I, there's another guy um I wouldn't mind taking a look at Michael Givens, uh, getting him into, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. into the Cardinal setting and and seeing if because when he's been healthy, he's been pretty good here in recent years. Um, I wouldn't mind. Uh, what was the other? There's I'm trying to think of. Well, actually, yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't be. It would be kind of interesting, wouldn't it, to, to have an Adam Ottavino return? Yeah, that would be something. I mean, oh, he's 36, uh, so it's risky, but it'd be a one year deal, I would assume, right? Gosh, it would be fascinating. Maybe not. Maybe it'd be one with vesting or, or yeah. two. Maybe you give him two, and that's how you know he's come, you know, the chance to close. I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, I think that's a, that's a, that's a real interesting one, um, especially for him to come full circle um, with how he left here, remade himself, and really created a, a strong career um, in the, crucible of new york and boston too so yeah, I, I find yeah. that i find that fascinating yeah well kevin uh, thank you so much another guy for... that that interests me but i don't think we'd want to go there but What's there's that? a guy that's that's just 29 years old whose stuff is ridiculous when he's healthy and that's keone Kella. oh um, yeah but he's also got a really bad reputation <laughs> he's got a really yeah. bad reputation in clubhouses and all of that so i'm not yeah, sure that, that's... that was tough yeah, yeah he's had right. some he's had some issues in that regard but he, he's a guy that throws 95 miles an hour plus, and he's got a pretty good breaking ball and a pretty good curveball that when he's healthy is pretty filthy. Yeah, they, I'm not sure the... Uh, but I don't well, see that. I don't, I don't think that's a I don't think that's a Cardinals move, and he didn't really... We're back to risk management. I don't know if the yeah, risk is worth the yeah. reward there. Well, he's a, if, you, if you're doing hit, hit deal with him, it's, I'm sure it's a minor league deal with an invite to spring. I don't think he gets a guaranteed deal from anybody. No, probably not. But then, then they'll see how he fits, and then they'll be enchanted by his stuff. And yep, then and then... And then I'll come all June, those bad the clubhouse habits. is like, come on, Kevin. But, yeah. <laughs> Kevin, it's always a pleasure to have a conversation with you. You're you're good in any clubhouse. You're a good clubhouse guy. You're a good glue guy. Um, welcome to the five timers club, I guess. Woo-hoo. Um your uh your your sport coat is in the mail. Nice. Uh, but I guess we're gonna have to, you know, schedule a sixth time. I don't even know if you've been on this thing five times. I'm just making it oh, up. Oh, more than that, I'm sure. Um yeah. We'll have to schedule another time when we can plunge into what you would see would like to see from the economics of yeah the yeah I think I, I think what I'd like to see and this is going to be a twenty second thought Derek is I would like to see the system care less about protecting the highest end revenue teams and the high end players and find a system that takes care of the middle class of the teams and the middle class of the players association I think there's too much that goes straight to the top and this idea that it'll raise up other teams is not true it's not happening. It, or, yeah. or, or other players, it's not happening. I mean, there's just the gap between the top players and the average player is growing. The average player is getting pushed out. And the same thing is happening on the team spectrum. The very top teams keep on going big and they're going to have no problem spending what they want. Meanwhile, you've got the, you know, the middle, the middle teams and below that don't have a chance to compete with that. So you're saying a trend in the larger society is oh. reflected in the, in professional sports. 
sports. I mean, shocker. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Yes, exactly right. Wow, that's yeah. that's I'm I'm floored by this. But dude. you know what? Let's pr- let's protect Jeff it's Bezos. Sports and his, is a microcosm of yeah. a larger industry. Yeah, no, I I'm I'm floored. Yeah, big shock, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Way to end my new year on such an end, uh, such a high note. Great, thanks. Yeah, sorry, yeah. buddy. That's all right. Happy holidays to you and your family, um, R2 and everyone. Uh, you know, I hope you have a great holiday stretch here and that it's already started. And most of all, Kevin, I hope you have a healthy new year. Um, I hope everyone listening has a healthy new year. So thank you so much for, for joining me here. Always glad to do it. Same to you and your family, you and the boy wonder and uh, the wife. You guys have a great run with the puppy. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, Marvel the puppy. Oh, that's a, we're to learn a lot. I got I got about an hour and five minutes of a break here, so we're about to run out, and then I need to go take care of the puppy. To all the listeners out there, the best podcast in baseball. Thank you for another year of listening, another year of helping us make this thing better. I really do hope that you have a wonderful new year. Most of all, a healthy new year. And we'll be back in the new year with brand new best podcasts in baseball speeding towards a spring training that we don't really know when it'll start, but we know that the best podcast in baseball will continue. Best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closet by Design is a production of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com, and me, I guess. I I edit it, um, and I look forward to uh, continuing it. So everyone stay healthy, stay informed, um, stay tuned. Kevin, happy holidays, and I look forward to talking to you soon, pal. We'll do this in the new year, man.